Well, let's join our hearts together once more and ask God's blessing. Father, we pray that you would uphold your precious Son in our sight today. In Jesus' name, amen. Look unto Jesus. If you've been around Grace Church any amount of time, you've been exhorted at some point to look unto Jesus. Only three words, but in those three words is the whole secret of life, wrote Theodore Menad. And praise God that this is the repeated exhortation at Grace Church. But looking is not the end we seek. It is the means for attaining a particular end. Yes, you become what you behold, but you become what you behold precisely because what you behold is what you delight in. Looking begets delighting. And as Christians, we look unto Jesus that we may delight in Him, and in this we imitate the Father. Now our aim today as we begin this Advent series is to look, to gaze at the Redeemer in eternity past, praying that this looking would produce inexhaustible delight. So what was Christ, the Redeemer, our Redeemer doing on that day in eternity, before the foundations of the world, before there were men and women made in His image, before there were beasts of the field or birds of the heavens or swarms of living creatures in the sea, before there was sun and moon and stars, before there was vegetation or dry land or water, before there was light to be separated from darkness, before any created thing, visible or invisible, what was the Son of God doing? That's the question before us today. Now, you don't have to turn there, but just listen as I read from Proverbs 8. Our Redeemer here, speaking under the name Wisdom, says, beginning in verse 22, The Lord possessed me at the beginning of His way, before His acts of old. From everlasting, I was established. From the beginning, from the earliest times of the earth, when there were no depths, I was brought forth. When there were no springs abounding with water, before the mountains were settled, before the hills, I was brought forth. While he had not yet made the earth or the fields nor the first dust of the world, when he established the heavens, I was there. When he inscribed a circle on the face of the deep, when he made firm the skies above, when the springs of the deep became fixed, when he set for the sea its boundary so that the water would not transgress his command, when he marked out the foundation of the earth. Verse 30. Then I was beside him as a master workman, and I was daily his delight. Our text tells us that the Son was beside the Father as a master workman, and He was daily His delight. The foundation of all other realities is that God above them all delights in the inexplicable expression and perfection of Himself. This is manifested in the glorious truth that the first person of the Trinity, the Father, 
has always delighted in the second person of the Trinity, the Son. Our Redeemer spent eternity being delighted in. In Isaiah 42, God exhorts the reader to behold my servant whom I uphold, my chosen, in whom my soul delights. The immeasurable soul of our God is fully satisfied at the sight of our Redeemer. Unimaginable joy, ceaseless pleasure, infinite bliss and happiness. Never once in all of eternity did the heart of the Father desire to look upon anything else. So what is it that would make this Redeemer such an endless source of delight for the Father? Two realities that make our Redeemer the source of all that is satisfying. One, that He is God. And two, that He is the Redeemer. On these two pillars of Christ's person rest all of what made Him the Father's eternal delight. So first, the Son has been delighted in from all eternity as God. He is called in Scripture the image of the invisible God and the radiance of the glory of God and the exact imprint or representation of His nature. He is said to be the only begotten of God who is in the bosom of the Father. He is the I Am. Our Father delighted in Jesus as the fullness of deity, possessor of every attribute and characteristic of God as God. The joy of this interaction can scarce be imagined. Yes, we can pick up a systematic theology book and we can look up certain attributes and characteristics that God has chosen to reveal to us in some measure through His Word. But this barely touches the surface of this incomprehensible God. Our delight in the Son is bound up in our inability to apprehend His limitlessness. He is greater than anything we could ever imagine. But the Father's delight in the Son is bound up in His ability to fully and completely apprehend His limitlessness. Psalm 145 tells us that God's greatness is unsearchable. While we delight in the unsearchableness of God's greatness, His magnificence, His being beyond all comparison, God was delighting from all eternity in the fullness of the greatness of Himself in Christ. Job, after detailing certain acts of God, writes, Behold, these are but the outskirts of His ways. How small a whisper do we hear of Him. But the thunder of His power, who can understand? While we delight in the incomprehensibility of His power, God was delighting from all eternity in the fullness of the unlimited power of our Redeemer. We delight in knowing the unsearchable, ununderstandable, infinitely transcendent God and the fact that He has made Himself known to us. We, like Paul, gaze upon this glorious God and are left to declare, 
Oh, the depths of the riches and wisdom and knowledge of God. How unsearchable are His judgments and how inscrutable His ways. For who has known the mind of the Lord or who has been His counselor? Or who has given a gift to Him that He might be repaid? For from Him and through Him and to Him are all things. To Him be the glory forever. Yet, God the Father in eternity could stare into the face of His Son and declare with happiness incalculable, I delight in the fullness of the depths of your riches and wisdom and knowledge. I have searched out your judgments. I understand your ways. I know your mind. I share with you glory forever. Being Himself God and therefore possessing every attribute of God Jesus was sufficient to satisfy every craving of His Father. The Son has been delighted in from all eternity as God. And second, the Son has been delighted in from all eternity as the Redeemer. In that great council of eternity, there was a decree whereby it was said to the Son, You are my Son. Today I have begotten you. Ask of me, and I will make the nations your heritage and the ends of the earth your possession. The Son asked, the Father granted, and from this eternity, He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love, He predestined us for adoption as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the glorious purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace." with which He has blessed us in the Beloved. In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will, according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ, as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. He chose us before the foundation of the world. This choosing supposes the manner by which those numbered few would partake. It means that in that most glorious council whereby salvation was spoke of, the Father saw in the Son a sacrifice. In naming those who would become sons of God through Christ, he saw, as Revelation puts it, a lamb who was slain. He saw that his son, though he was in the form of God, would not count equality with God a thing to be grasped, but would make himself nothing, taking the form of a servant and being born in the likeness of man. He saw that he would learn obedience through what he suffered. That he would, for the joy set before him, endure the cross. That he would be delivered up according to the definite plan and foreknowledge of God. As C.S. Lewis said, this incarnation is not an episode in the life of God. The Lamb is slain, therefore presumably born, grown to maturity, and risen from all eternity. Christian, rejoice in this Messiah. This glorious gospel of the blessed God, the happy God. The Son delighted in by God our Father in eternity past as our Redeemer. The happiest moment you have ever felt 
would pale in comparison to that delight which the father felt for his son in that untimed age. I was daily his delight, says the Redeemer. Isaac Ambrose said this, Christ speaks in terms very quaint and familiar, always rejoicing, greatly sporting. It is a metaphor or simile taken from the little ones, which sport and play before their parents. Oh, see how the father and son rejoice in one another's fellowship. Nay, see how they spend that long eternity before creation in nothing but rejoicing and delights. The father delights in his son. Now be sober and satisfied with this knowledge. God spent all that time, if I may call it time, in delighting himself in Jesus. This was God's work to delight in his son, and he so delighted in him that he desired no other pleasure than the company and beholding of him. The question will invariably be raised, if so satisfied in eternity, why create anything? Jonathan Edwards remarked, It is no argument of the emptiness or deficiency of a fountain that it is inclined to overflow. These spilling over of God into creation, as it were, suggest that there is something, rather someone, so infinitely glorious that he must be shared. The Father loves to display his Son. He wants him to be known. He wants him to be treasured. He wants him to be loved. He wants him to be worshipped. He wants him to be delighted in. And he is worthy. He is worthy. If you are here and you are not a Christian, I would offer that you look to this Redeemer. But were you to lay eyes on him, you would be disgusted by him. You cannot enable yourself to want him. And the Father can barely stand for a shadow of time. People who willingly choose not to delight in his Son, he will not stand it forever. Friend, Beg God to give you a new heart. Beg Him to give you affections for this glorious Redeemer. You cannot conjure up the will to delight, but God can do it. He can make you to be so enthralled with Jesus that you say with the people of old, I am a stranger and exile on earth because I desire a better place that is a heavenly one. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called my God. Jesus is enough for the Father. Is he enough for you? Christian, be so satisfied with this Redeemer that you may say with Paul, Indeed, I count all things as loss because of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord. For his sake, I have suffered the loss of all things and count them as rubbish in order that I may gain Christ. To gain Christ is to lose nothing and gain everything. It is impossible to exhaust the happiness he offers to those who would but look unto Jesus and delight. Be in imitation of our Father, who from all eternity beheld and delighted in this ineffable Redeemer. Let's pray. After I conclude, 
We'll enter a time of reflection. Ask God to make Jesus the delight of your soul. Father, we thank you for your word. We ask, Lord, that you would make us doers and not merely hearers. In Jesus' name.